Our passage this morning will come from Colossians. We are starting a new series. We finished the life of David a few weeks ago. Shane preached beautifully last week from Acts for us. And then I'm sort of starting a summer series early. We're starting it in late spring, and we're going to work through the letter of Colossians. There will be some guests preaching throughout the summer, so by the end we'll have had nine uh, discussions from these four chapters. And this morning, um, we're going to look at the first two verses primarily. I'm always bored by the sermons that just do the first two verses of the letter. Anyone else? Like, why do you do that? And then I did it. So maybe I'll bore you. That's my, that's my hope. I'm going to just come out and let you know. There's a lot in this first two verses that need to be unpacked. You, when you get a letter in the mail, you open it, you look at what, who it's from and and some of the first things, right, before you read the body. And then you flip to the back of the bottom of the sermon, or the uh, letter, to see who it's from, or maybe there's a postscript. So that's kind of what we're going to do. It's unconventional. But I'm going to read the first two verses and the final verses as well. And the reason is, I want us to get the connectedness to Paul. I want us to see that this letter is from Paul, and that at the time it was written, I mean, there are real people. These are, if Paul walked into the room right after writing the letter, you, you would see him and maybe, I don't know, smell him and, and talk to him and he's real. And so are these other individuals. And I want us to have that connectedness. So that's why we're going to do it this way. So here the word of the Lord from Colossians, starting with verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let me see where I've told you all to go. What's chapter four? Where where does it start? Coleman? Seven, okay. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those at Laodicea and at Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you that this letter has come into our hands from Paul and ultimately from you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to understand the depths of the gospel that is presented in this message. Amen.
If you are like me, when the mail comes on a normal day, it's not a big deal, right? It's like, okay, grab the mail. But if your kids get the mail, it's a little different, right? Especially if they get a letter. I was talking to Emily about this. She said the two things we get are either requests for money or bills where we owe the money. That's kind of what mail has become. And anymore, when it looks like a letter, it's probably a trick, right? But when a child gets a letter, right? How many of you watched Blue's Clues growing up? Who can sing the song? We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Come on, I can't. Got a letter. I wonder who it's from. Like every episode, it was that excitement about a letter. That's my hope. My hope is when we read this letter from Paul, we'll be the child, excited to see the treasures in store, the gospel that's in this, in this letter. And so what we're going to do this morning is, I think, answer the questions we do with any letter that came, comes our way. We're going to ask, what is it? Who's it from? Who's it for? And what's it say? That's what we're going to do. And not exhaust every one of those points, but we're just going to touch on each of those things. And what we'll find is if we receive this letter as Christians in Christ because of what he's done, we will unlock a treasure. We will unlock a treasure. And it's not just one time. If you're visiting and you're like, dang it, that sounds like an amazing series, a treasure? Well, even if you go back to your home and you study Colossians on your own, you'll find that treasure on your own. And so I hope that we'll find it this morning partially and as we go through the series as well. So what is it? What is this thing that comes your way when you get a letter, when you get a package in the mail? Um, remember those commercials from like the 80s with Ed McMahon, the publisher's clearinghouse? Anyone remember that? Come on, elderly friends. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. You know, not elderly. but Ed McMahon, that was the original tonight, second version of The Tonight Show. And he would, one of his side gigs was publisher's clearinghouse. And, and, and if you... If they came to your home, I think there was like a red carpet and balloons and this huge envelope with their logo. And so you kind of knew that you had something amazing coming your way prior to even opening it, okay? That's, that's the point of this illustration. In chapter 2, Paul says this. Uh, he says, I want you to know how great I struggle, a great A struggle I've had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. This is some of the points of this letter. Your hearts are encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says there in chapter 2 and throughout this letter that the contents of Colossians is rich. It's only four chapters, yet we get so much of our theology from this very letter of who Christ is, of who the church is. There's many theologies that we get from this, these four chapters. And Paul promises that if we receive this letter and we open this letter up and his spirit is present, we will have treasure. What are, what are the scriptures? Um, you know from 2 Timothy 3.16, the very famous place where it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so what we have when we ask, what is this? We have scripture coming our way. We have, we have this letter in our hands that is scripture straight from God. 
Recently, I had a meeting in my office with Jimmy Hill. He's the um, engineer who did our civil engineering. He did it for free. He's a wonderful man, and he came to talk to me about the Gideon ministry. And I knew a little bit about that ministry, but hearing him and looking at some of the literature, um, I have to be honest, I kind of thought to myself, I don't think the problem is a lack of Bibles. You know, we have a lot of Bibles. But then as I read through the literature, because Gideons, they hand out Bibles, they put them in hotels. Uh, I remember in college at UCO, my freshman year, um, being handed a New Testament um, but as I read through the, uh, the literature, there was a pastor. It's Greg Groeschel. Is it Groeschel? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. That guy at Life Church. Um, he's at one of the Life Churches. You never know. Great guy. Anyway, he came, his conversion story is he received on campus a New Testament from the Gideons and read it and became a Christian. And there's many other stories like that. So the word is powerful and effective and it reaches you. Um, but the other illustration I wanted to bring that just sits in my head is from the movie, movie Luther. Apparently, historians disagree on whether this actually happened, but there's a scene where Luther, Martin Luther, who's translated the Bible into the German vernacular, hands it to Duke Ferdinand. Do you all remember that scene? It's toward the end of the movie. At the very, and, he, and he receives this Bible for the first time in his own language. And just the way that the, the actor acts the scene out, I highly recommend you watch it, he begins to just tremble and puts his hands out like he's receiving treasure, right? That is what we have in Scripture. It is treasure. It is treasure because it is the message that will change your life. It will save you. It will, it will reform you. It will purify you. The question is, how? And we're going to answer that throughout the series, so stay tuned. And this, and this discussion as well, because I want to now talk about who's it from. That's part of the question. What, why will it change you matters uh, or is answered by the question of who's it from. Uh, I think everyone here already has figured it out. Paul is the author. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, right there in verse 1. And Timothy, our brother. So Timothy most likely wrote down the words Paul was saying. The very last verse of the, uh, that we read, verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So most likely he signs the letter to, to show the churches, this is from me. I'm Paul. I actually am the one behind the authorship of this letter. Who is, who is the apostle Paul? Remember, he, his Hebrew name is Saul. Uh, Greek name would be Paul. He is, he's the guy that was groomed from childhood to be like the governor. He is that guy, right? He's going to the Ivy League school. He's going to have the greatest test scores. Remember Philippians, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? As to, as to the law, zealous. But he has this conversion on the road to Damascus and it changes his very being where he realizes for the first time in his entire life that all the things he pursued, all the things that drove him to achieve, to be successful, to accomplish, were rubbish because they were for him. And the gospel came to life and he became a Christ follower. In Galatians 2.20, he says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's had this fundamental change. That's who writes this letter Okay, and he's saying in this letter, he says, I have not met you. 
That's kind of interesting. He had met the other churches. He had planted the church of Galatia, right? He had planted these other churches. But Epaphras plants the church at Colossae. So here's Paul writing a letter to a group of people he's never met. He also says, have this letter read at Laodicea. So he's, he's basically saying, uh, I'm the author of this letter, but I want you to take it farther out, and I'm, I'm your authority. I'm here to help you see something. But who, what's the authority structure? Who is he representing? Who's the letter ultimately from? And he says it right there in verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy's sitting right there. Timothy's a full-time pastor. He could have said, well, like, you're an apostle, but can I add that I'm, I'm also one? I mean, I do this full-time, you know, and it's kind of popular to say you're an apostle. And Paul's like, no, I'm the one. Not because I'm special, but because God has appointed me to be the apostle of Jesus. This message is from Jesus to you. It is a message with authority. Um, I was talking, Doug and I talked through the sermon, so I bring him up every third sermon. And we were just thinking through, uh, if you read the letter, it, it, there's almost this sister church relationship with the Laodicean church. Uh, I've never been to that area, but apparently Laodicea and Colossae are very close. They were in a valley that had earthquakes and some tragedy, and, and, but they're kind of tied together. You see that in our passage, uh, read the letter there, have that letter read to you. Some of the names were mentioned. That's the person who ministers to Laodicea, that kind of thing. So they're connected. But have you ever read the letter, uh, the, the last the part of Revelation, where you have the seven churches of Revelations? Um, some of those churches are familiar, Ephesus. Others are not. Maybe Sardis or um, Thyatira, right, Pergamum. But there is one church that stands out. To the church in Laodicea, here's what Jesus says to them. This is encouraging. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Isn't that good news? <laughs> wow. That'll wake you up. I asked the question in point one, uh, how do the scriptures come to life? And the answer is by knowing who they're from in point two, and knowing, what we'll talk about in a moment, who you are in point three. But the problem Jesus has, and he's starting to unpack in Revelation there, is you say you need nothing. And... I think we're at risk of that sometimes. I know I feel that way. My goal every morning is to wake up and have my act together, have my list in order, have my systems in place, and then I'll pray and I'll read my Bible and that'll be part of my to-do list. For me, in my schedule, the worst morning is the one that I feel exposed, naked, ashamed, lacking. The very mornings where I need Jesus in my flesh those are the ones that feel awful. And yet Jesus would say, those are the best. Do you feel your need of him? We sing that song. Listen to what he goes on to say. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. In other words, 
Jesus would say to all of us and to the church at Laodicea, clothe yourselves in Christ. That's who this letter is from, Jesus, who's encouraging us to feel our need of him, to long for his authority, to, to want the message from Paul, ultimately from Jesus. Is that, your, is that your experience? Is that how you come to this passage? When you hear of this letter from Paul, do you believe it's from Jesus to you? Um, I, I love Antique Roadshow. I watch it every now and then. And it's just fun because they make it look like everyone's got treasure, but in the background you see the regular people. And then there's that person with that like amazing thing. And there's always that moment where they say, tell me how you got this. And there's a story. There's always a story. Well, my great aunt, she went to a garage sale. I don't know. There's always these great stories. And that's really, if we took the time, we could figure that story out. That, that we received, you know, when these letters were read, these original letters, they were copied, manuscripts. And those manuscripts were copied. And those were passed down. And they've come to us from the pen of Timothy and Paul, and primarily, obviously, Paul, but Paul is an apostle of Jesus, so I just want to remind you, this letter is from Jesus to you, and he loves you, okay? So that's, the, that's I'm giving away my next point. Who's it for? We're just moving through these points. Who's this letter for? He says, to the saints and faithful brothers, you could say brothers and sisters, that's very much cultural there, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, um, <clears throat> that's you. If you're a Christian, that's you. I have a dear friend who says, I've heard him say it several times and I can at times relate, that sometimes he feels like that he's a Christian, but there's this long line and for whatever reason, he's at the back of the line. Do you feel like that? Do you come in here this morning and go, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I'm not really one of the ones that Paul's writing to. How does he qualify it? To the saints. Are you a Christian? Then you're a saint. There's one class of Christian. And Paul is saying, if you believe in Christ, this letter is to you. You are a saint. You are, you are one of the group. Now, the other way, I think the way the devil can play with you is this. Either you're at the back of the line. That's one way I think the devil gets to us. Or, well, great, but there's a whole bunch of us trying to share this treasure. We just got a letter. It's a treasure. It's from Jesus, but it's to all of us. So I, I always make up the dumbest illustrations, but they stick in your mind, maybe for wrong reasons. But if Grace Church was gifted a vacation home in my favorite town, Crested Butte, I want you to imagine, we've just got this amazing vacation home. And, and, it, and there's never, like there's, how do you say this? It's never full. Like if you showed up, there is a room, a suite with a kitchenette. And, and, and then there's a middle area where you can see the other people that are there from grace. And all you need is to be a Christian. And then you come by the office and Doug will hand you one of the keys and you hit, your, hit the road. And that's it. And the best part is when it's over, you don't have to do your own laundry because those places are really annoying. Like you've got to get out of town. It's like do the laundry. You're like, no. There's a gift and it's for you. So my question is, do you feel like you're on that list? Do you feel like you're part of the people of God? If you are in Christ, you are. And that gift is for you. 
So, we're moving somewhat quickly through these points. What is it? It's treasure. Who's it from? It's from Jesus. And who's it to? It's to you and to you. And I picture doing this. It's to you. This letter is to you. I want to do it to everybody. I can't. Forgive me. But Jesus can. This is for you. When you read Colossians, when you read Scripture, receive it as one to whom it's been written. But what does it say? What does it say? Paul finishes by saying, grace to you and peace. I say he finishes the introduction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, Scholars love to say that's just a typical kind introduction to a letter. That's all Paul's doing. Not the best scholars, just some scholars. The ones that needed to say something original. I want you to imagine the very, very, very first person who wrote the word, sincerely, Dave. Not you, Dave, the other Dave. The one that wrote the original, sincerely. So imagine you're writing this letter and you come to that, is that the, what's that part right before you say your name? Is that the side, what's at the end? Anyway. You're going to write the word, and you, what do I say? I really mean what I just wrote. Sincerely, right? The very first person that wrote that, like, sincerely. Or the very first person that wrote, dear. It's like, I want to write a letter to, to Bob. And I really like Bob. Dearest Bob, right? Like, that's the very the person that wrote that. Like, I really like him. Or someone, you know. Then other people thought, that sounded pretty good. All right, dear Bob. All right, sincerely, Jim, you know? And then we get the letter, oh, there's Paul. He's just doing what everyone else does, but he's not. Grace. He, that is his word. Like, that's his theology. I, had a, I was at a pastor's group once, and we all know each other, and this guy wasn't trying to be rude, but we were working through a little bit of a, an exercise, and I was sitting with Pete Hatton, who's in Edmond, and he's at Redeemer, and the guy goes, oh, you two are the two justification guys. Like, that was his cut down to me. Like, you just like justification by faith. I was like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that. Now, I don't mean, I don't believe in sanctification. But what I would argue is most of us really don't get the fact that we are justified by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And that's really what ignited the Reformation. And the person behind that theology is Paul. And when Paul writes the word grace, it is never going to be used in a very shallow way. That's his theology. It's the central concept that is most clearly expressed by him. That Christ's work of salvation is done purely by grace. He ends the letter the same way. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace. What does that mean? Uh, there's, uh, it, it's a point. It's one point of a sermon, so I can't do it all, but the whole letter, it will unfold. But Paul is saying this to you and I. Your default, my default, and I really, if we wanted to have a one-on-one conversation, I think I could prove this to you, or I'm crazy, is to daily think your worth is based on what you do. It's based on how you're doing. It's based on how people perceive you. Uh, It's based on how things in your home are working. This morning, I went to a lamp to turn it on, and this lamp has it, sorry, you know what I'm talking about. Like the knob, instead of turning and clicking and coming on, it just tightens. 
and it breaks. And the reason we haven't replaced it is out of nowhere, magically, it will start to turn on and work. And then it'll last for a couple of weeks or months. And then all of a sudden, when you really need it, it just screws in and doesn't turn and you're tightening it. And I remember that happened, so I turned on other lamps. Everything was fine. But I felt like, why can't that work? And it just kind of gnawed at me. Am I crazy? If I'm just crazy, I'm sorry. But that's just a tiny illustration of thank you. Uh, yeah, he's crazy. When things don't work the way you want, those are little examples of moments where you just think, like, what's happening in my world? And you begin to let it sink into your conscience. Right? You begin to start to think about when people don't respond the way you want them to to you. When you make mistakes. When you sin. Even when you repent. There is that conscience trying to tell you you're not good enough. And Paul is saying at the very beginning of this letter and the very end of this letter and everywhere in between, grace. On the front, you see a quote from Luther. It's on Galatians. <clears throat> if you'll turn in your worship guide, if you have them, I'll read it. He's referring now to the opening. As you know, this opening, grace and peace, is in, in his other letters as well. He says, The greeting of the apostle is strange to the world and was never heard of before the preaching of the gospel. And these two words, grace and peace, comprehend in them whatsoever belongs to Christianity. Grace releases sin, and peace makes the conscience quiet. The two fiends that torment us are sin and conscience. Therefore, Paul, in all the greetings of his epistle, sets grace and peace against sin and an evil conscience. This thing must be diligently marked. The words are easy, but in temptation, it is the hardest thing that can be. To be certainly persuaded in our hearts that by grace alone, all other means either in heaven or on earth set apart, we have remission of sins and peace with God. I would argue that either if you think that's, not, if that's too strong or you're not jiving with that language, it's, it's probably because you've just separated religion from regular life. Well, that, oh, in my, my, my Christianity, I believe that 100%, but at work, in my marriage, in my daily life, whatever, in my struggles, I have real issues, right? You've separated them. And Luther is one person among many who've said, no, no, no. Secular and sacred are together, and what torments me in my regular daily life is the same thing that would torment me in my Christian life. Does that make sense? And if I got grace spiritually, it would pour over into everything I do. I would actually believe that I'm free and I'm justified, not because anything I've done. When you can tell you're catching on to that when you begin to ask questions like, well, then can I go on sinning? Or then what's going to change me? Then you're starting to kind of catch yourself. Ah, oh, I actually thought that I would change on my own. Like, do you hear yourself even asking those questions? So grace frees you. It, 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 you're forgiven. You have Christ's identity. But then he says, irene or peace. It's Greek. It's a, it's a Greek word that in the Greek setting would primarily be tied to uh, the removal of harm from military attacks, etc. Um, now that's a big deal. I mean, Paul is in chains. Rome is after him. Jerusalem's after him. And the church. 
right? And so to find out that in Christ, the promise of this letter, the treasure that's coming, provides you peace from the outside sources is, is huge. That it would give you a ceasefire. But the Hebrews uh, in, the, in the church would have also told them it's based on shalom, which is much greater and much more robust than simply not being at odds with an enemy. Uh, the shalom means much more of eternal flourishing. It, it's, it's, grace means you're forgiven. Shalom means you're going to flourish. One author says shalom is the way things ought to be. In any, real, in any situation, ask, how should this have been? If the fall hadn't happened, how would this go? This situation, this relationship, this conflict, this setting. What would it look like for peace, shalom, to come into this situation? So as you think about the treasure contained in this letter to the Colossians, I want you to know it, it is this treasure of Christ, and it's Christ coming in, and it's Christ unlocking your full potential, your life the way he wants it to be for his glory. That's what we have in the letter to Colossians. We, um, our, our confession of faith came from Psalm 126. It's one of my favorite psalms. And as we close, I just want to remind us of what's going on because I think it's, even though the word shalom is not there, you, you have the picture of shalom right there in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. The backdrop to Psalm 126 is they had been drugged from their homeland. Or they had been taken into captivity. We know from certain Psalms that talk about babies being harmed, that probably that's what they saw. I mean, the devastation they've experienced being dragged away and then even coming back into the land was not good. They had gone through the greatest heartache that, that you can imagine. And yet, as they meditate on what it means to come back into Jerusalem, into their, their own land, they, they, they begin to be filled with laughter. They begin to be filled with joy. And verse 4 says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. That is a river that when it was drought season, it was dead, nothing living. But when just a little bit of rain came, when the rains would come, it would just really quickly spring up with beautiful vegetation. And so that became an illustration for them to say, bring in the sheaves, bring in the, 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 the joy, the laughter, the shouts of joy. Is that your hope? Is that your longing? Is that where you are? Or are we with the Laodiceans? I'm fine. I'm good. This is probably as good as this marriage is going to go. It's probably as good as whatever is going to go. This is probably as good as I'm going to ever feel. We're longing for heaven. We're going to see that next week. We're longing for redemption, final redemption of heaven. But Jesus is promising that in our time here, he will sprinkle in that righteousness and we can flourish right where we are. Grace and peace. Let's pray. Lord, we are excited to read this letter together to study the way you share and shower your promises on your people. Lord, I pray that we would break through the temptation of saying, oh, I've read that before. Help us be people who are hungry 
for growth, longing for your ways to permeate our very being, to flourish in this life as we hope in the next. Will you help us to that end for your glory? Amen.